I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. This episode is part of the silver lining theme in which I will try to explore some of the bright side of the COVID-19 crisis with some of my wisest friends. Today's guest is my friend, Dr. Sandro Formica. Sandro is the professor of happiness and personal empowerment at the Florida International University. He has taken an unconventional approach to his life and career and purpose. Just like mine, he is attempting to spread happiness around the world by integrating science and logic into a topic that is elusive to many of us. And he does that with educational institutes, with governments, with companies, and so on. And his work and impact is felt whenever he delivers his message around the world. Sandro, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. We were just talking last night, and now I open my calendar today in the morning, and I find that we are supposed to be recording this. It's so kind and so wonderful for you to spare the time, and I know it's going to be a wonderful conversation for our audience. It's just my pleasure. So, Sandro, yesterday, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but when we asked on the video conference of the group that we were together, and we asked everyone, how are you doing with the coronavirus and the lockdown, you said in such a beautiful way, I wish I can go and hug Mama. And I know you're Italian, so Mama is in Italy, and you're now in uh, Miami, right? Correct. Do you mind sharing what you feel about that? Well, come on, Italian moms, you know. (laughs) (laughs) We depend on that. We are always their babies anyway. Well, one thing is that my mother is not that well. Uh, It's in a nursing home, and it was so fascinating that when coronavirus started, they limited the possibility to actually have a phone conversation with her. Phone? Even on the phone? On the phone. So it was only three times a week within an hour and a half each time. And obviously, there, there are six hours of difference between here and there. It became almost impossible for me to talk to her unless I had to wake up in the middle of the night. So just recently, actually, they provided the guests of the nursing home with an iPad, one, all of them, and I could see her. And, oh, my God, she was so emotional, and she started crying, and she said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I said, come on, I got you there. I really got to be there. It's that simple. I haven't seen her in three months. Yeah. Italy hasn't done very well on this uh, situation. Tell me what is going on with your contacts and people there. Give me a comparison between the Italian experience and the Miami experience, if you want. Well, I was very surprised to see that Italians are taking it very seriously. For some reason that I'm not a scientist in that field, I don't understand why Italians have been uh, grappling with this for a while and, and struggling. However, we have reached the curve and now they are slowly going down, but very slowly. But I can tell you that I know many people who live in a relatively small condo and there are four or five of them and they have not gone out in six weeks, in seven weeks. And they decide that one person of the family goes out to buy groceries twice a month and that's about it. 
So I was impressed about their resilience and their commitment uh, to uh, get rid of this. But they know they are in there for the long haul. I don't think it's going to be that short. And there are some challenges related to this for sure, but they are doing well. Miami is Miami. (laughs) (laughs) So people feel that they are still in a vacation mode, even though all hotels and restaurants are closed. But we do see a lot of people walking and jogging and skateboarding. (laughs) And they have to do it uh, right on the streets and on the roads because parks and, and beaches are still closed. I think this is a really interesting view because your work is to work with, you know, of course, other than your academic career, you work with governments, you work with institutes and, you know, education institutes and others uh, on what you call personal empowerment, the idea of sort of taking charge of your life. Now, here are two very interesting examples on both sides of the world. And there are many. I mean, I I share my example of here in the United Kingdom where I feel the government has been reasonable in terms of saying, be responsible for your own isolation. You're allowed to be out, you know, an hour a day to work out and so on to governments that were extremely strict and to governments that were completely loose, right? But none of that is about government, isn't it? I mean, this whole idea is about me and my own choices and my own decisions. Now, where does your work come into this and how have you been responding to the current situation? Well, yeah, it's a meaner government. <laughs> you have to govern <laughs> government yourself, is a, yeah. in a way. Yeah. And, um, well, you see, this personal empowerment thing started about 10 years ago here at Florida International University. And that was the result of a 27-year work of myself. Oh, Okay. You were teaching marketing before that, correct? Yeah, I was teaching strategic marketing and strategic management. Massive shift. Yeah, a business degree. And so, yes, there has been that shift that is really reflecting the work I have done. And uh, and then I noticed that whatever worked in my work of 27 years was actually backed up by science. I said, oh my God. So I put together my left brain and my right brain. I started saying, oh, this is interesting. There is some value here. And, you know, I asked students, just to give you an idea, in high schools here in the US and in Europe, I said, how many hours have you studied? And they were about to finish high school. And we started making the calculations of how many hours they were in the classrooms and how many hours uh, they did the homework in a very, very conservative way. And we ended up with a minimum of 20,000 hours. Is that true? Yeah, from first grade to 12th grade in the US or 13th oh, grade wow. in Italy, etc. So 20,000 hours. I said, perfect. Okay, good. Now, tell me how many of those hours you remember in terms that they are part of you and you use them. I know it's a very wild guess, but let's guess in percentage. What is that guess? And uh, the mode, the two most uh, mentioned percentages are 10%, 5%. That's incredible. So I said, you need to tell me that actually out of these 20,000 hours, uh, you remember at most 2,000. I said, what is it? And I said, what do we do with it? I said, okay, okay, hold on a second. Now, what did you study? Well, I studied literature, math, and uh, this is all wonderful. This is great. And but how many hours did you study yourself? <laughs> the greatest question of all. And they said, what do you mean? I said, yourself. I said, what do I have to study? I know myself. I said, oh, really? Okay, okay. So tell me one thing. Do you think your thoughts influence your life? 
And I said, of course, yes, yes. Do you think your thoughts really actually determine your life uh, to some extent? I said, yeah, of course. I said, do you know that you think tens of thousands of thoughts a day? I mean, if they are so important, now I'm going to give you three full hours to write down all the tens of thousands of thoughts you had yesterday. I said, it's that simple. And they started laughing. I said, why do you laugh? I mean, this is something that affects your life and you don't remember them? So I have no idea. So then I said, do you think it's worth studying yourself? And this is just one example. So Mo, I said, my God, what we think is normal, in my opinion, is not necessarily normal. Why we give so much attention to the outer environment and we don't really give any attention to the inner environment? Why? <laughs> we see all these problems coming up and people feeling very uncomfortable in situations like, such as this one because inside they haven't built their strength, their ability to actually handle this. So I, I have to admit, I mean, this is actually quite eye-opening to me. And I, if you don't mind, I will quote you on this going forward. So of the tens of thousands of hours of study that we do, nine out of 10 at best are going to waste, 100%. That's their perception. And none of them is anything that is really relevant to the inside. One of my views is that this is because of the scientific method. The scientific method seems to, and I, I apologize if this offends you as a scientist, but the truth is that the scientific method tells us unless I can observe it, I'm not gonna be able to study it. And a lot of what's happening inside us is not really that observable. But then you say it's science. How can that be? But it's measurable, though. That's the difference. I mean, since the beginning of time, even before my transformation, I would always put up a slide that says, if you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. Correct. If you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it, period. And obviously, you're an engineer. <laughs> you understand that? For Absolutely, sure. yeah. So my point is, can we measure the intangible? Absolutely we can. Absolutely. Let me give you an example. I mean, the first building block of what I call self-science, this part of this class called personal empowerment, is needs. And I ask people to keep a diary of needs at night before you go to bed. And then you say, what were the, the most important needs uh, that... Uh, I needed to meet today. I need for safety, security, love, support, uh, friendship, communication, and give a percentage to the satisfaction of, of those needs. And please indicate who you are appointing to satisfy those needs. Can you imagine that people who are 60 or 70, and I have seminars for the elderly, they say, oh my God, I never asked myself this question. And so <laughs> again, we go back to the inner environment. Why didn't we care about that? It's so important. It's so basic. And then they started making connections, said, oh my God, yeah, I divorced because my need for safety when I was talking to my wife or my husband was not totally fulfilled. I didn't notice that. I, I could see the image of the enemy, if you want, in the other person, and I was with them for 20 years. And that's why I, I generated so much pain. So when you start measuring this, again, it's not rocket science, obviously, it's not a precise science. But yet, perceptions make us see the world as we see it, our filters. So we still need to consider them because they are really part of our daily life. 
Can we measure our emotions? By the way, it's incredible that, you know, I talk a lot about what you don't measure, you don't improve, but the idea of measuring needs, I'm now confused because I want to talk about two things at the same time. I want to talk about our needs in the current situation, but I also want to talk about our emotions. So let's start with those needs. When we're locked down and we are afraid of the future, and what needs are being not met in that case? Oh, definitely safety. And that's the first need that is not met. And then we are a need for socializing that is not met. We have a need for touch that is not met. I mean, we have a list of needs that are not met. And we cannot function, more if those needs are not met. You can't be happy and not have your basic needs, I mean, the most important needs, feel satisfied, met. So we got to check ourselves once in a while, at least once a day, and say, really, I mean, if I think about, you know, even my intimate relationships, if I go back, I can guarantee you that most other reasons why those relationships didn't last were related to a need to feel safe and secure when I am with you or a need for camaraderie, a need for them, a need for support. We got to talk about those things because if we do not speak, if we are not fluent in the language of, of needs, then we get a problem. And once we express them and I say, listen, you know, I noticed that I had this need for safety and I know that because I would love to tell you, share something with you. However, I feel I'm blocked. So clearly, there is this need for safety that is not totally met, and I chose you to satisfy this need. Now, let's work something out together. If you don't feel you feel privileged to satisfy this need of mine, to meet this need, it's okay. Let's choose together who else can satisfy this need, because I got to get it satisfied in a way or in another. That's and so that builds a platform for me eventually to create the happiness I want in life. But without that, so ephemeral a happiness because, yeah, you catch it, but then you have this need that is much stronger that takes over again. And, and so why don't we do it? As, and at work, think about this, Mo. I mean, if someone, if you go for a work interview and they say, can you please tell me, since you're going to spend eight hours, can you please tell me what are the top three or five needs that you want to have met while at work? Okay, and we create a plan on a monthly basis. When I do consulting for organizations, that's where we start. Create a plan so that this need from 30% satisfaction, it's going to go to 100% satisfaction no matter what. Because I know that once your needs are satisfied, you perform better, you are more gregarious, you work better in teams and things of that nature. So when one visits some of those needs, I think we can end up on two extremes of a spectrum. So I'll take the ones that you mentioned, social, safety, and touch, right? So I actually slightly disagree on the need of safety because I believe that if you and I are having this conversation, then our need for safety is met. We're safe. So the fact that we sometimes will say we're not safe in the middle of the coronavirus situation is actually a bit of a maybe a misperception of the reality. And I'd like to talk about that. At the other end, uh, socialization, 
I'll probably say I've never socialized as much as I'm socializing now. It's like really interesting. I mean, it is definitely a need. But on the other side of it, I, of course, I can't really meet people face to face, but I have so much connection with people I never had the time for the connection with, which basically goes to the third one, which is actually a real need that I get a lot of messages from people around, which is the need for touch which is something that we got forgotten, I think, in the modern world, especially in Europe. I think, you know, in the U.S. it's still people hug and so on. But here in Europe, you know, in many places it's like, no, 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 hold on, you know, that's too close. And in reality, now we realize that people are locked down for a few weeks, that this is something we need so much. So I feel the question for me would be this. When we find those needs, when we measure them, some of them are real and some of them are a little blurry and maybe an illusion that our need is not satisfied. How do we work on this? Well, I would say that most of them are based on our perception and our filters. So I totally agree with you that the need for safety, for example, comes, and I haven't studied this, I would love to test it, probably the number of hours we watch TV. Oh, <laughs> yeah. the, the more hours we watch TV, the less safe we feel. Totally, yeah. So clearly it's this perception of not feeling safe because the world is not a friendly place. And if we do create this type of image, then it's really a problem. And um, for example, in Italy, I have a team of 12 people who are giving their time And they use one page template, very, very simple. We start from emotions and we do measure emotions. And so all we ask them, which is something you mentioned earlier, is that, okay, one to 10, tell me how intense is your negative emotion. And so they specify the level of intensity. And then sure enough, we go straight to needs. Why do you feel this way? And they bring up needs because once your needs are satisfied, your negative emotions can't appear. How can they appear if your needs are all satisfied? I mean, uh, look at nature, look at squirrels. Their needs are satisfied. They have all the food they want. And the interesting thing is that they self-regulate. You don't see a very, very overweight (laughs) squirrel. And at the same time, so we really, they start making the connection. Say, oh my God. So I feel this way because there are some of these needs that are not satisfied, but in their minds. And in fact, to validate what you are saying, after we take them through values and purpose, so values and purpose is taking back the life that your perception gave away in the moment. So values is what's important to you. You know, what, what, what is that you would never give away? And so what's important to you starts feeling empowering. Okay, great. And then purpose even more. And purpose is the reason why you are here. It's something bigger than you. People live up to seven years longer when they have a strong purpose and they pursue it. So in just 30 to 45 minutes, you see this change. It's not that the world out there has changed, it's their perception that changed. And so from an intensity of a negative emotion of 8, we go down to an intensity of 3.6. Okay, now this is a demonstration for them that they can do it if they want and switch from those needs that their perception tricked them, that they are not met, to their values and their purpose in life. 
For the benefit of everyone listening, I want to say that this self-science, the work that you do, Sandro, is nine steps. And I think we're going to talk about a few of them today, not all of them. But I want to apply them to the current situation of the coronavirus. So let's take needs, emotions, values, and purpose. And let's discuss the typical person today feeling locked down. We said the needs that arise are the needs for socialization, for safety, for touch, and so on and so forth. This triggers certain emotions. Let's talk about those. Let's talk about the typical conflict with our values when it comes to those emotions and needs and so on. And what the typical value of a human, say, freedom, for example, how would that overlay on this? Take me through the process. If I came to you and I said, Sandro, I'm panicking, I'm, you know, this whole lockdown thing is killing me. How would you go through the process with me? Yeah. So first I would ask you, what's your feeling? What is that you feel? Now, even there, we start with, I feel good, I feel bad, and we are not very um, accurate Very accurate in terms of feelings, but doesn't matter. And then we give them a list, and most of them are frustrated, are upset. Now, very often, this is the result of covering sadness, okay? And so as soon as we go a little deeper, sadness kicks in and powerlessness. That's so interesting. Kicks in a lot because, look, I can't do anything. I would like to hug someone I can't. The government decides for me. So they feel powerless. You know, one thing is to have anger. Anger is a lot of energy. So there you can adjust it. But with powerlessness, uh, you are playing with almost no energy there. And so okay, okay, you feel that way because I'm stuck here. So it means uh, you have no freedom. Yes, so uh, your need for freedom is not uh, satisfied. No. Okay, so we keep going and going deeper and deeper. So, okay, then obviously we can find solutions to that because then in reality, when we ask a few questions, are you free to interact with your children? Are you free to do some work from home? Are you free to connect to people uh, through technology? but they still have that emotion. So in order to switch that, we need to go to what is really important to you. There is no question about it. So we go to values. My two values are growth and freedom. Okay, now freedom, my freedom is very limited (laughs) because the things I want to do. However, to me, freedom, I interpreted it as freedom uh, to do what I want without selling my time for money. So once I found out my values about 15 years ago or so, then I decided to take action to live a life that is aligned with my values. So so I said, okay, if I don't want to sell time, which is life for me, and it's more and more precious as we age, then why don't I buy my time and uh, I focus on investing until I become financially free? So I invested seven years and now I'm financially free and I don't have to worry. And so to me, it was very important also because I give so much to others because I don't feel trapped. I don't feel upset. I don't feel frustrated because I am one component of the system. I'm out of it because I choose what I want to do. And when they understand that when they align their values to their life, to their behaviors, there is no one thing you have to do. It's only things that you want to do because your life is aligned with what is important to you. And I'm not saying that then life becomes easy. Absolutely not. 
because growth to me <laughs> comes with a lot of challenges. I love challenges, but are not easy, but I love them because they make me grow. So now, Mo, truly, there is not one thing, one thing that I have to do. I schedule my life based on what I want to do. And so they get their power back with values. Because then I ask them, okay, what can you do today to live a life that is more aligned with those values that you mentioned? What can you do within the restrictions here? But I know you can do so much. So tell me what can you do today? And then they start thinking and say, oh my God, I could do this more of this, more of that. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Let's work on a plan here where you keep dedicating more time in alignment with your values. And again, as you write the diary of needs before going to bed, you can write the diary of values, putting, writing the percentage of alignment in terms of hours. This is, again, something I do for companies. You know, when I go to companies, say, okay, how much of your daily tasks or your job description is aligned with your values? And how much is not? And can we work on making this alignment stronger and stronger to reach a point where we can do job crafting if we want and the performance is there, if not better, and people are very happy. So then we finish with values. Now they feel more empowered. Now they feel they got some of the light back somehow. That's their perception. And now we take them to a bigger idea, which is purpose. And, and yeah. truly, oh, when I ask them about what's your purpose, and obviously, at times, I don't say this way and because they might be confused, but they get there in five, ten minutes. Now, they will lose it probably after a few hours, but at least they won't lose that, how they felt that moment, that experience where they understand they can do much more than affecting their own life. And as a matter of fact, we see it with coronavirus, we affect each other's lives. Yeah. And they really feel that there is something bigger than themselves that they can affect. And it doesn't matter reaching it. Purpose is not a goal, it's not something to achieve, it's something to pursue. And it doesn't really matter if they achieve it or not, because the pursuing of it makes them happy and uh, not the final compensation so when we finish they are really in a different state and that's the beauty of it there are so many things we need to talk about here i don't know how much time we have for it but i love this definition of purpose actually the first time it's said on this podcast so i'll repeat it it's not a target to achieve it is something that i want to enjoy pursuing it's my ambition in life it's my directional aspiration and this is where i'm going i'm heading and i'm enjoying the fact that i haven't reached it because if i reach it then it's not a purpose anymore and i love that definition i have to say though you make it sound easy sandro i think your personal story of really going through your own self studying yourself as you said for 27 years and making such drastic shifts that align with your value maybe others don't see it that easy well, I believe they don't uh, because they decide not to invest, not even five minutes, mm. 
in themselves because they were told that they are not as important as studying history or geography. They are very important. So since we were born, uh, we were molded to say, to receive this message of the external environment is more important. My story comes from, there are moments in life, and I heard some of yours, where everything shifts. And obviously, if you are receptive to it, it's wonderful. When I got my doctoral degree here in the U.S., the first thing I did, the very first thing I did, and we start closing with my mom again, <laughs> is from Virginia. I took the first flight to Rome, and then in Rome I rented a car. I was driving like a crazy Italian. I arrived uh, at my mother's place, <laughs> and I said, Mom, 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 I got a PhD in a foreign land, a foreign language, and are you proud of me? And, and she said, yes, son, yes, son. However, the knowledge and the expertise and the culture of your father can never be matched. So she mentioned something like that, and in a nice way, okay? But I was so shocked in that moment because my father died when I was 23. And then I said, what's happening here? I couldn't understand what was happening. I went straight to bed, and I stayed there for a couple of days, <laughs> truly, and, and then I started wondering, I said, what have I done? I have lived my life trying to be appreciated by my mother as much as she appreciated my father. And in fact, my father, in his first part of his life, he was a teacher of math, so nothing to do with what my PhD was on. And then he moved to become the first executive for tourism in uh, my region in the central Italy. And I got a PhD in uh, business tourism management. I said, oh my God, I spent the first part of my life trying to get approval, acceptance, love, recognition from my mother as much as she did with my father. So in reality, I don't know who I am. So I had no choice, Mo, you know, none, no choice, because at that point, my brain, everything else was a clean slate. That's it. I said, okay, who am I? I have no idea. What do I like? I don't know. <laughs> because for over 30 years, yeah. I tried to play the role of, okay, I'm going to show I'm better, I'm better, I'm better. But I didn't take any, place any attention on myself. So I didn't know. And from then, that was, you know, really my birth was then, because then I started noticing what is that I like. And sure enough, it was not tourism. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I continued for many years. So can you imagine getting a green card for your exceptional ability to publish in a field you don't care at all about? Oh my God, that's amazing. So you see how fascinating, how much we can trick ourselves. Absolutely, and this is truly the life of so many people. It's, I, That's I, why. it's so beautiful the way you said it. You can become the absolute expert at something you don't give a damn about. And you spend your whole life behind it. It's incredibly enlightening to get mama saying, I love your mom, by the way, I'm going to go visit her one day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's such an eye-opening moment in a very nice way saying, yeah, you've achieved, but you haven't achieved what you were supposed to achieve. 
And finding that match, I think, is incredibly empowering. So then you took that 27 years of research. Can I ask you, again, I keep going back to this, because I am a huge advocate that this coronavirus, this lockdown that we have with COVID-19, is that moment with your mama. It's that moment for all of us to sit down and say, that pace of life that we were going through, that mad blind chasing of everything that we now realize we can live without for five, six weeks, that torture that we were putting on the environment as a result of that can all go away. And perhaps this is a moment where people should sit down and say, what do I really want to do? What are my values? What matters to me more? I was just having this conversation surprisingly with a friend, like literally before we recorded this, saying, Everyone expects me after the end of this quarantine to start traveling again and giving talks and being on stage and meeting people and running businesses and all of that. Is that what I want? Is that what I stand for? What would your advice be for people listening to us now? I want to share with you, I was asked to write the preface to a a very thorough survey of women executives in Italy. And what I saw from the results of the survey was that they were all into uh, resilience. We are strong, we are resilient, it's going to be okay, we are going to restart in June, everything is going to be fine. If you ask me what I'm worried about, I'm worried about the current situation of the economy of my country, I'm worried about others, I'm not worried about me. So, Mo, I saw this armor Armors, that yeah. those women put on, thick armor, thick protection, like we are strong. And I meant it, no question about it. And before then, I scheduled with them an hour and a half webinar on starting to reflect on themselves and the power of vulnerability. Okay. So this is so beautiful because when I started talking about vulnerability and clearly it's linked with courage, is linked with risk, is linked with uncertainty, is linked with emotional honesty. And I said, okay, these are the results. And I understand that by being resilient and borrowing some of the concepts or the attributes that were given to men, you reached where you reached. But can we reach the same results being vulnerable? Because I tell you, without vulnerability, I would have not done anything. And in my courses and my seminars and my work, if we don't create an environment that is safe and secure, Mo, people will not grow, will not change. So because I'm fixated with permanent behavioral change, that's what we want. We go to seminars, we do coaching, because we want to permanently change some aspect of our life. We can only do that if we take the armor down. Then we can start working. Because you can give me as much as you can give me that is super precious, but if my armor or my mask is on, I can't do anything with it. I mean, conceptually, I understand it. It's fantastic. But experientially, it doesn't filter (laughs) inside of it. It just bounces off you. So it was so fascinating to see that in an hour and a half, they reframed completely what they wrote 
in the service and they say, oh my God, absolutely. And by doing it this way, it's much more sustainable. So then the first question, which relates to you, the first question they asked me, they said, don't you think it's not the right thing to do to work on vulnerability now that these people are suffering at home and, and when they will come back to work and they will be so sensitive? I said, it's exactly now that you have to do <laughs> because they were home for two months and they had time to work on their self on their being, instead of doing, 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 which is what we are all trapped into, they were able to dedicate some time on the being. And so now the door, it's open or partially open. That's such an easy entrance. And they are ready for it. They are primed for it. But don't wait until next year. I said, maybe, maybe the problem is actually that you don't want to be vulnerable because we love vulnerability of others, but we don't want to be vulnerable ourselves. In order to change others, you got to give the example. You got to lead. Are you ready? Are you willing to do it? So this is what I tell people. Now that you know so much more about yourself, because no matter if you have worked on yourself or not, I have people who counted the tiles in their units and they said, oh my God, now I know I have 3,753 tiles, <laughs> but they don't, want, they don't feel comfortable going within. So they'd rather distract themselves by just counting the tiles of their units because they cannot go out. But even if you did that, you know that you are trying to escape from something. Exactly. That's a great starting point. Beautiful. You still have more awareness than in the past because all this craziness on the doing started slowing down. So the being started taking over. Now it's a beautiful moment also because there are all sorts of free services offered around the world and you can get so much out of it. If I think how much money I spent on seminars in the early 2000s and all that precious information, actually I can tell you $165,000 in three years, okay? And all that information is now available for free online. Exactly. It's crazy not to use it. Imagine the gift, yeah. Imagine the gift. I also think the biggest gift, I think you say it so well, the biggest gift is that ability for me to sit with me. And I can use that time to count the tiles on my wall or I can use that time to count my emotions, my values, my needs, how my being is matching to my actions. And instead of just jumping back to all the doing, maybe I should tell myself I will keep some of the doing and drop some other parts of the doing. I don't know what to tell you, Sandro. You know, you and I will probably let everyone go now and we'll continue our friendly conversation for long. It's always, always, always a pleasure. Before we leave, I want everyone who wants to follow the work of my friend Sandro Formico to go to sandroformico.com. So it's F-O-R-M-I-C-A. I think you'll find that life science is quite powerful and very, very scientific, very measured and a very systemic approach to reinventing yourself. I'm a huge fan myself. It's always been a pleasure. Sandro, thank you so much for being here. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet, Slow Mo, Soul for Happy, or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, 
Stay happy.